God, we are grateful for your presence. Lord, we are grateful that you are here and you invited us, Lord, to come to be with you, to learn from you. Thank you, Jesus. So we tune our hearts, our ears, our spirits into what you would have for us today. We don't want to miss a thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're reading through the New Testament together as a church this year in our 260 reading plan, Matthew chapter 9 was, was part of our reading this week. And so I want you to turn to verses 35 through 38. That's going to be our theme passage for today. In Matthew 9, 35, 38 through 38, it says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Say all. All the towns and villages. Teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then turning to his disciples, he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. One of the things that Matthew does really beautifully and powerfully in his gospel is that as he's writing, he just drops in these kind of like these golden nuggets of insight into like, who is Jesus? I'm really helping us to, to get this clear image of who Jesus is. In fact, just in chapters eight and nine, I was going back and looking at these different thoughts that he was just dropping in, letting us know who is Jesus. We see just in these two chapters, we see several things. We see that Jesus has authority over our bodies, that he can heal every sickness and every disease. We also see that Jesus has authority over all of nature, not just in our bodies, but all of nature, because it says that he had authority over the wind and the waves. So like everything in nature is like under the authority of Jesus. Then we also see in these two chapters that he has authority over all sin, like over all the spiritual realm. So not just the natural, but the spiritual. And because he has authority over all of the spiritual realm, he can forgive us of our sin. And then the, the one other thing that I saw in these two chapters about Jesus is that he likes to hang out and even eat with sinners. He loves everybody. He was the God, he was so surprising. The God of all authority would hang out and eat with sinners. So we get these pictures of Jesus. And then right here at the beginning of this little passage in verse 35, we, we learn even more about who Jesus, not only who he was, but who he is. But listen to this, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
What do we see here? I mean, no, notice these things just about that, that one statement about Jesus. He went to where the people are. He went to them. He didn't just like sit up on a hill and, you know, like everybody come to him. He did that too. Sometimes the crowds, as said, just flocked to him. But he went to where the people are. It says that he went to every town, every village, everywhere. It says that he went to their synagogues. We know that he, you know, on Sabbath, on Saturdays, he would show up to where the people were. Where were they? They were in their places of worship. But as you read, not even beyond just this one verse, we find that Jesus went into people's homes, very often, I mean, he was, he was doing ministry right in the living room, you know, right in the kitchen, right, right in even bedrooms. People were sick and he would go in and minister that he was in their homes. But he wasn't just in their homes. He was in the marketplace. He was like where people went and did life and shopped and hung out and, and communed together. He was there. And the other time it says he was like in the fields. Like he went to where they worked. You cannot get away from Jesus. He went to where you are. He went to where the people are. And I just love that. He was ult the ultimately accessible God, present in the lives of those who he was called to serve. It also says that he was a teacher. I mean, he taught the people. I mean, how remarkable would it be to sit and to like, oh, I'm gonna sit here and learn from God himself. I mean, just like those soul level insights he's dropping on us. It's like, oh man, if I could just sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him, wouldn't that be incredible? Well, guess what? We have the Bible. We get to do that because so much of Jesus' teaching is like embedded right into what we read. In fact, even in this passage. Then it says that he proclaimed the good news. He didn't just like teach people, he proclaimed the good news. And he proclaimed that he is the good news, right? You don't have to try to earn God's favor. Not gonna work for you anyway. You don't have to try to earn God's favor, you already have God's favor. And I am like the living embodiment Jesus was communicating. I am the good news. I am the favor of God. So turn from all your brokenness, turn from your sin and turn to me and receive life. It's the good news, right? Then it says, he didn't just teach and proclaim good news, but it says that he healed every disease, right? Every place that people were being touched by death, right? He brought life. He brought life. They had leprosy, boom, cures that leprosy. So, you know, somebody who's blind, boom, they, he gives them their vision. They're deaf, he restores their hearing. Every place people were being touched by death, he brought life instead. Because nothing's too hard for our God. So I want, you, I want you to see something here. Check this out. So we learn here that Jesus went everywhere, okay, say everywhere, Bringing the good news to everyone, say everyone. And he healed every kind of human brokenness, right? Showing that nothing's too hard for him. I, I didn't catch this till I kind of was studying and going deeper in this, but 
do you recognize a pattern here? It's a pattern we've been talking about as a church for, I don't know, some, some seasons. There's this familiar pattern that I began to see here. Jesus was demonstrating to the world his presence, his goodness, and his authority. He was present, went everywhere, proclaiming the good news, that he is the good news. And he was proclaiming his authority, he was demonstrating this through, through his healing power. And the, the pattern that we've been seeing in scripture over and over again, that kind of leaps off the page here, is that Jesus is here. That Jesus is good and Jesus is Lord. Those three things, they just keep appearing in scripture over and over. And it's right here in this one statement about who Jesus is. Jesus is here. He wasn't just there then. He didn't just go to all the people then. We know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can know with confidence, Jesus, you're here. And he, didn't, he wasn't just good for them and proclaiming the good news for them. He's, he's good now. Jesus, you're good. And Jesus, you have authority over all things. Inside of me, outside of me. Not only my sin, but every place of brokenness, every disease, even the winds and the waves have to obey you. Jesus, you are Lord. Can we say those three things? Here, good, and Lord. Jesus, you are here, you are good, and you are Lord. Over and over, he demonstrates those things through scripture and in, even in our reality and our experience here. The next verse, verse 36, goes on and says that as he was going everywhere and ministering to all the people, it says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. When he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees people. He saw them. He didn't just see like their outward life, you know, kind of like how we do, you know, so I see you, yay, you look all nice and shiny and got your hair brushed and you look good. No, Jesus didn't just see the outward in people. He actually saw their hearts. He didn't look over them. He didn't look around them. He saw them personally, individually. He saw their hearts. Listen, probably if I was to ask you, who really sees you? I mean, you probably could count on one or two fingers. How many people in the world really see you? Are you seen? Are you seen? Jesus sees us. Now, sometimes we're, I mean, I'm glad only one or two people see me because I know my own brokenness. It can be a little frightening to be fully seen because we know our own brokenness. We know our sin. We know our thoughts. 
We know our pain. We know all of our broken, you know, past experiences. It's like, I don't know if I want people to see me like that. Jesus sees. And you know what? And we don't have to be afraid when Jesus sees. Let me read a passage of scripture about this very thing, about God seeing us and why we don't have to be afraid. It's in Hebrews 4, 13 through 16. Just listen carefully. It says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. <laughs> Everything is naked woo-hoo, and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. It's like, oh, snap. Everything, God, all my doubts, all my brokenness, all my pain, all my thoughts. Yeah, I see it all. Nothing is hidden. Everything is laid bare before God. And we're accountable to him. And it's like, oh, my goodness. But then it goes on. So then. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Why? This high priest of ours understands our weakness. Is that amazing? He understands our weakness for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Woo! Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus sees me. And yet, I don't have to be afraid. He sees everything. Everything is fully laid bare and exposed before our God. And we don't have to be afraid. It says that we can run boldly into his presence because why? Because he gets me. He understands. Even all the places of doubt and brokenness and all the yuck that like I try to hide from everyone else, he sees and he understands it. He invites us to come just the way we are. It says that we can boldly come. And I love that phrase at the, at the end of that little passage in Hebrews where it says, and we'll find grace, 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 grace when we need it most. Like when we're at our worst, he's at his best. We all need grace. And we need it most from those who know us the most. Yeah. In this passage, in Matthew 9, we find that Jesus saw people. And it says that he, I think it says that he saw them in two different ways. Like with eyes of compassion and then eyes of mission. I want to talk about those two ideas here for a moment. And it was in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Listen, compassion. He, he saw them first with eyes of compassion. Compassion is not like sympathy, like, oh, those poor people, they must just be miserable. That, that's not compassion. Compassion is an intense longing for someone's well-being. And it's something also that moves one to do something about it. Compassion is this intense longing that I want you to be well. I want you to be whole. Those areas that are broken, I, I, I want to I just put my arms around you and do whatever I can do to help fix that. It moves me to compassion or it moves me to action. My compassion leads to action. That's why like in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's compassion moved him to action. That's what compassion does. And Jesus viewed the world, just broken humanity with compassion. He didn't feel sorry, but he had this intense longing to see what was wrong made right and that he would do whatever he could to fix what was broken in us. And it, and it says a couple of things. It says that they were harassed and helpless. How many of you grew up harassed? Maybe you had a big brother or sister. Maybe you had a little brother or sister. <laughs> Harassing, right? Just, you know, maybe it was a bully at school. But when Jesus was seeing the harassment of these people, he was actually seeing that they were under this intense negative pressure from the evil one himself. But like the enemy of our soul, the tempter, the accuser, the father of lies was the one doing the harassment. Just messing with people continually. So like they couldn't even like move forward because the enemy would just like try to push them back. Just this harassment, just this harassment, this bullying, lying, manipulating, accusing. And it says that they were helpless. So not only did Jesus see that they were harassed by the evil one, but they were helpless, meaning they had nothing in their own power to defend themselves against what was going on with this harassment. Nothing in of themselves allowed them to be equipped for this kind of a fight. So then he drops in this illustration. He said, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And picture this cute little woolly sheep. Uh, our family lived in New Zealand for one year when I was growing up. It was really cool. Right behind our back fence was a, was a, a sheep farm, a little ranch. And, you know, during the spring, there's the, there's the, uh, the lambs are being born. And in those first months, man, they're just like bouncing and like, ah, they're so cute. But sheep are helpless on their own. You know, they only have one kind of natural defense mechanism and it's the flock. It's the only thing that they have to protect themselves. They are, they're prey. They're just like the enemy can come. So the only thing that sheep can do to protect themselves is to like flock together, right? There's strength in numbers, like the wolf out there, you know, we're just gonna keep moving around. He's not gonna know which one to come after. You know, it's, it's so there's strength in numbers. Now that can be good, but it can also be bad because sheep lack common sense. 
There, there's a, a news report just a handful of years ago in the nation of Turkey, there was this very large flock of sheep and the shepherds weren't watching them. They were having breakfast. This massive flock of sheep. And you know what happened? One sheep went over a cliff, like trying to get from one side to the other. You know what the rest of them did because they flock? Boom, 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 boom. Over 400 sheep plummeted to their death because they were just following each other because they're flocking animals. So, oh, one's going, let's go. Let's see where he's going. And they fell to their death. Sheep need a shepherd. The shepherd should have been there. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, this way. He said, get in there with his rod and his staff and like, get away from there. Right? They needed a shepherd because that's what sheep do. And Jesus said, because he's good, he said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. This invitation to everyone who is harassed and helpless to come to that place of safety where you're gonna be loved and cared for, protected by God himself. Jesus saw people with eyes of compassion, but he also saw people through eyes of mission. And this is where we get to the last statement in this little passage, this seeing people with eyes of mission. Because he turns to his disciples and he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's this harvest that Jesus is talking about? It's these same people, the crowds, the helpless and harassed, those without a shepherd. That is the harvest field. Listen, last Sunday, Kaylin brought, I think, a really, really great teaching. From the words of Jesus, when, when Jesus talked about there being two roads, there's this wide, easy road, right? And lots of people are on it, and it leads to destruction. Picture like that cliff. The sheep are like, woo! But it's easy. We're just following each other right off the, right off the cliff. There's another road. It's the narrow road. It's a hard road. But it's the road that leads to life, Right? I've been thinking a lot about that message. One of the reasons I know when a message is a really good message because I keep replaying it. I keep thinking about it. I keep adding my own things. Oh, and then there's this, and then there's that. I could do a whole series just on that one message that Kalen brought. It was so good. And one of the things I thought is like, here we are on the narrow road. Aren't we proud of ourselves for choosing wisely, for choosing life? instead of death. I'm not gonna go that easy way that leads to death. And we can get this idea, we can have this mindset that takes over us, where we start pointing back at those people over there. You stupid sheep. You deserve what you're getting, you stupid people. In fact, we can even like, come to that place where we even kind of wish 
Wouldn't it be, wouldn't the world be better if they just like, go, jump off that cliff? Wouldn't the world be better without them? Whoever the them is in our minds. Those Palestinians kidnapping Israelis or other people. Those Israelis just pounding the snot out of Gaza. Wouldn't it be better if they just, just go away? Or whoever that group of people may be in our thinking. There's a lot of groups that we can like look down on and just say, wouldn't the world be better if they were just gone? But here's what Jesus is telling us. He says, these people, these people are the mission. These people are the reason I came. Listen, Luke 19.10, Jesus said this of himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Other places, in fact, I think it's right here in Matthew chapter nine where we've been reading where he says, I didn't come to like for the righteous. I came for the sinners. That's why I hang out with them. That's why I like to eat with them and hang out with them because that's who I came for. These people are not the problem. These people are the mission. (laughs) They are the harvest. You know, listen, farmers don't get out there and work month after month, blood, sweat, tears, pouring over all that they do so that they can just sit back at the end of the day and say, man, I worked really hard. What a good day of work. No, that's not why they do it. They do it for the harvest. The reason Jesus came was for those who are on this broad path, ready to jump over the cliff to their own demise. That's why Jesus came. So Jesus then reminds us that the harvest is plentiful. Like there's a lot of people going the wrong way. Lot billion, billions of people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Headed to destruction. Plentiful. Lots of people. But then he flips it. Because then he calls our attention to the problem. That's the reality. Lots of people going the wrong way, headed to their destruction. But then he calls our attention to this. But the workers are few. Meaning that there are not enough people who are saying they are following me and have chosen life over death. There are too few of these people, which is a lot of us in the room. He's saying there are too few of us that capture the reality that we need to actually be workers in, it says, his harvest. Like he is inviting us to come and join him in and engage in his mission of redeeming a broken world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then Jesus drops this, I believe, a counterintuitive solution to the problem. He says, pray. Now, there's other places where he says to go, right, go. Go and make disciples, right, of all nations. 
right? There are places where he tells us to go. But here, when he's pointing out this, the harvest and all these people headed to destruction, he says, pray, start with prayer. And it was like, it got me thinking, like, why, why would he say that? Why would he say, pray first? What happens in prayer? Are, are we changing God's heart for broken people? Oh, no, no. No, no, no. See, God knows their brokenness. He knows they're headed to destruction. He already has compassion. He already knows this is the mission. This is why I came. This is why I went to the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus says, we don't pray so that God's heart would somehow be awakened to the plight of humanity. We pray so that there will be something that will be changed in us, in the workers, right? Headed on this road to life, but I don't wanna bring nobody with me. I don't wanna bring them with me. Could it be that he calls us to pray because in that place of communing with God, that we're gonna begin to see people the way that he sees people? Could it be that as we begin to pray for the Palestinians, that we would begin to have God's heart for the Palestinians? As we begin to pray for the Israelis, that we begin to like actually have compassion to realize that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Could it be, and then just name whatever group that to you is like, oh, they're bad, man. The world would be better without those people. Please jump off the cliff quickly before you infect us with your whatever. Could it be that God calls us to prayer because in that place of being in God's presence that we begin to get God's heart of compassion? see what's really going on. But we begin to see people. See them. To understand that the enemy is against them. And that they're like sheep without a shepherd. Headed to destruction. Could it be? Well, that, that happened in Isaiah's story. Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets captured beautifully in chapter six of Isaiah, that he's like in the presence of God. Doesn't say he's praying, but, but he has this vision. So it's like, he probably was in prayer because he gets this vision of God, of, of his holiness and his own brokenness. But then God comes and like restores righteousness to Isaiah. And then it's, it's in verse Eight of Isaiah 6, where he says, then I, then, then I heard, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who shall I send? It was in prayer that he begins to hear this voice that's almost echoed by Jesus here when he says, man, there's, there's a lot of people who need to hear this message of life. There's a, there's a lot of people who are headed to destruction. Who shall I send? Right? God asks, who will go for us? 
Who are my people who will get up out of their comfort and go? Who will get outside of themselves and move on my behalf? And so Isaiah famously says, responds to God, when he hears that question, who will go? Who can I send? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. See, maybe that's what happens in prayer. Because we do not pray to change God's heart, we, change, we pray to change ours. Here am I, send me. What would it look like as, as a, a church? We were to get God's heart and start seeing people around the world, but also right here in our own neighborhood, the way that God sees them both with compassion and understanding that I also am seeing them, that, that they're God's mission. This is the reason that, they, that God came. That these people are not the problem. They're the mission. Wow. What would it look like as a church if we were to do that? What would it look like if you were to do that? Where God has placed you? So I wanna close just... In this moment of reflection of like, well, what is the harvest? Well, well, you know, what, what's going on around us? You know, we just had the U.S. census back in 2020. One of the cool things about the census is that you can like break down the responses that people gave and you can really find out a lot, even right about your own neighborhood. Because they're, because all of the results are broken down into tracks. And it's a little challenging to like Google all the right things to find your track and everything. But once you do, you can find out a lot of data. Can I just tell you about the blocks around our church? Right, just right here. This is the 1,400 closest homes, households, they're right, right here. In about these 1,400 households that are right closest to us, there's about 6,500 people. Living there. So it's like over four and a half people per household, which doesn't sound like too crazy big, but when you realize there's a lot of people, like there are people living by themselves and there's just people like kids have already grown up and left the house. That means that there's a whole lot of kids. In fact, over 40% of those living in our neighborhood are under the age of 18. So what does the harvest look like? It looks young. It looks like kids. We got kids in the room right today because of Fifth Sunday. We got a lot of kids right here. So when you look around and see kids, you know what? That's what our harvest looks like. In fact, Gen Z, they tell us, is the biggest generation in human history. Bigger than baby boomers, more by number. What does the harvest look like? It look, looks young. You wanna know something else about our particular neighborhood? These 1,400 households that are closest to us right here, that over 96% of them are Latino. Now in our context, because we know a lot of our neighbors, most have come from Mexico. Not, some not recently, some is like generations. But the people that live around us, over 96%, almost everyone, you're gonna meet as Latino. But did you know that about 80% of all of these households 
over 80% don't speak English in their, in their home. So kids are learning, of course, English as they get, grow old enough to go to school. But we're living in this beautifully wonderful, I don't even know what if I want to call it, it's, it's not even very diverse. I'm the diversity here. <laughs> right? This white guy that God plucked out, I just said, here am I, send me. Okay, go to Santa Maria. I don't speak Spanish. Pretty fair skin. Didn't grow up in Mexico. But God's called me here. And if God's called me here, I'll tell you what, and he's called you to be a part of this church, guess what our harvest is? It's young and growing up in a Spanish-speaking environment. So what, do you, what should that inform us as as a church when we think about, God, we want to be people that you will send? Well, that's why we have two congregations. We're one church with two congregations, English and Spanish. If you want to meet people in our Spanish congregation, just stay till 1130, because that's when we're going to be having our Spanish service. Maybe God would call you. Some of you are bilingual, but like, ah, I just kind of prefer like hanging out with, you know, I'm maybe a little more comfortable in English. What if God were to start to call some of you? I want to, I want to serve this harvest field right here. How could I best do that? I want to invite you to come and be part of what God's doing in our Spanish congregation. In fact, some of you that don't speak Spanish, I'm at our Spanish service every week often preaching with a translator. Maybe God would call just to like hug on people and greet them and love them and let them know that they're loved and appreciated by our church. We're so, man, you know what? A smile and a hug goes a long way. Hola, high five. Letting people know you're glad they're here, not wishing that they were gone. And I think the other thing that should really inform our church is that we have to focus on our next-gen ministries. You guys, we have to double down. We lost some things during COVID. One of the things we lost was a lot of volunteers who used to work with our young people that just didn't come back or fully engage back with our next-gen ministries. There's gonna be some opportunities you're gonna be hearing about in the weeks ahead about come. Let's reach out. There's a harvest. This is who Jesus came for. And in our context, in our context, in fact, I told you, right, that there's about oh, over 40% of those are under 18 who live in our neighborhood. So I did the math. That means that there are over 2,500 young people in our neighborhood, 2,500. Man, if, if even just a fraction of them started common, we wouldn't even be able to like fill up. I mean, we wouldn't have room. We'd be like, where are we gonna put everybody? Do you think God has a heart for them? Could God give us his heart for them? Let's pray. In obedience to what Jesus said to do, ask, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. God, would you begin to allow us to see people the way that you do. God, would you begin 
to help our hearts to be broken the way your heart was broken when you saw people with compassion. Really seeing them, seeing their stories, seeing their hearts, seeing their doubts, seeing, seeing the places where they've been broken by other people. God, would you allow us to begin to see people with compassion the way you do? And then God, would you allow us to begin to see people as the harvest, that we would not lose sight of the harvest? Because it's why you came. You came to seek and save those who are lost. And then you engaged your people, or at least you're trying to engage us in your mission. So Lord, would you begin to not only allow us to see people with compassion, but you'd allow us to see what our part is in the mission so that we would be people that here and now say, here am I, send me. And I just want you to sit for a moment. And ponder, are you willing to tell God, here I am, send me? Are you willing to say, God, I wanna start seeing people the way you do? And God, I will go where you send me to go. It's a really dangerous prayer, by the way. It's a really dangerous thing to say to God because he'll take you up on it. And I'm not promising roses and sunshine and wonder. Because you know what? We know that the narrow path is difficult. It's challenging. And only a few find it, Jesus says, but it leads to life. So would our mission be easy? No, it's not easy. But it's good. Because we're partnering with the, the God of the universe who came and gave himself for us. It's understanding that we have received God's mercy and his grace. So how could I not extend that to those around me? Here am I, send me. Listen, I'm gonna ask you to do something. And I'm not trying to apply any peer pressure. In fact, keep your eyes closed. But if you are someone who's saying, God, I wanna be used on your mission. I don't know right now where you might send me, but I wanna say, I wanna, I wanna do something in response to the question, here am I, send me. Would you go, yes, God, here am I, send me. If that's you, if that's what's in your heart, if that's what you want to do, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand, I want you to join me on your feet. Saying, God, here am I, send me. If you're willing to take that step out of your comfort zone and say, God, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go. Would you stand? And just before the God, not before me, but before God, say, God, I want you to start speaking to me. I want, I want you to start opening my eyes so I can start seeing people the way you see them. God, here am I. Send me. Here am I, send me. 
God, you see our hearts because you see us. And God, I pray for an empowerment, Lord, of people to go. Lord, I pray for people young and old to begin to see the world that you, the way that you see. And that God, that you would begin to speak and show particular mission fields, particular places, some local, maybe some global. But that God, that you would begin to open our eyes to see the world the way that you do. In Jesus' name. Aren't you glad for his love, for his grace, for his mercy? Isn't Jesus good? Isn't he good? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna ask our prayer and our ministry team to come forward. And maybe you're one of those people who are like, you know what, man, maybe I'm one of those people that have been headed the wrong direction. Because it feels like my life is pointed to destruction. If you wanna be someone who says, I know that I am like walking towards life with Jesus. You know what, we've got this team of people up here They want to pray with you. They want to see you and listen to you for a moment, to hear your story, to pray with you about making Jesus, making Jesus number one. Say yes to Jesus. And then if you're saying yes to Jesus, guess what? Pastor Lisa is leading our yes class today in just moments. In fact, Lisa, I'm going to let you get out, head out the door first so you don't get trapped because she'll get trapped. She's gonna be in the courier room. It's right out the glass doors and to the right. You'll see a door on your left. She'll be in there. Now go and explore. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? And how can I help others say yes to Jesus? That's what that class is all about. And for the rest of us, man, take time to talk to Jesus. Come and receive prayer. And if you're somebody like, man, I think I may be hearing what the Lord is saying to me. Come and tell somebody. This is where I think that God is sending me because we want to agree with you and pray with you. And then remember on your way out the doors, Pastor Gary's going to be out there as well, inviting you to come and explore what membership looks like here, because we are on mission together as a church. We love you. Have a great week.